Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us and hope that we find some answers to your questions. Uh, that's the way this program is designed, is to answer Bible questions. Uh, some religious TV programs tell you what they think you ought to know or what they think you need to know. Uh, we let you ask us what you'd like to know. So that's the, the difference between this and a lot of TV programs. We give you a phone number and a website. They're on the bottom of the screen all the time. You can use those any time to get in touch with us. If you've got a specific question about a verse or a doctrine or a topic in the Bible or maybe something that's in your life that you wonder, what's the Bible say about that? Or maybe a current event you wonder, what's the Bible take on that? Uh, give us a call or log on and send us the question, and we will get you an answer as quickly as we can. So that's what we do here, and hopefully it helps us all know our Bible a little bit better. I'm Steve Tandy, and I've got two helpers here to keep up with all these questions. Toby Levering's back. Hi, Toby. Good morning, Steve. And Jeff Martin's here. Hi, Jeff. Glad to be here. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. We've all got a few questions ready, but uh, our viewers always get one first. So here's your question for the week. Uh, multiple choice this week. You got 33% chance of getting this one right. Who wrote the book of Philemon? Was it John, or Philemon, or Paul? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the question. Who wrote the little book of Philemon? All right, Jeff, looks like you get number one and talking about Christmas trees here, yes, I think. Yes, I've got the first question today. It's an interesting one. Where does the Bible say not to decorate trees? Uh, and there's a very small percentage of people out there who believe that there's a specific verse uh, that condemns decorating trees, and they include that to mean Christmas trees. Uh, so let's look at that verse to see where they're coming from. And this is in Jeremiah 10, uh, verses 3 and 4. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest, and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. So this specific verse is talking about a pagan ritual that had ties to idol worship. And in the context of the whole chapter, what it's saying is God is the only God deserving of our praise and worship. God is the only one true God. And if we take that, we can understand the meaning. The decorated tree is nothing until someone starts to worship it. And we can see this in the way that the Bible describes a lot of different idols. There's a lot of materials used to make idols, gold and silver and wood and even a tree in this case. Um, but those materials in and of themselves are not idols. It's when we fashion them into something and begin to worship it that it becomes an idol. 
The same goes for a decorated tree. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a Christmas tree. Uh, however, if you were to start to worship that tree, to idolize that tree, to give that tree or, or anything, for that matter, something that belongs to God, like praise and worship, that's when the trouble would start. And Jeremiah is pointing that out by describing a very worthless and pointless ritual tied to idol worship. Okay, thank you, Jeff. But that's one of the funny stories in the Bible, and there are a couple of funny stories in the Bible. Uh, the next verse, he says, they're like scarecrows. They can't talk, you know. Right. you got to carry them around and make fun of idols. The best one is, I can't remember where it is, but one guy said, you cut down a tree and take half of it and make an idol, and you take the other half and make your firewood out of it. Yeah. So how do you know which one's the idol? <laughs> you burn one and you worship one. How do you know? So, yeah, God, the Bible makes a little fun of idols every once in a while. All right, tell me what's your question. All right, what does the Church of Christ think of predestination? <laughs> well, let me address first of all and say um, the, the views on this program are, are representative of our study and representative of what we find as we dig into Scripture. But I want to say I, I'm, I'm not going to speak for all churches of Christ, okay, um, because some might take issue. And this is a hard issue, uh, the issue of predestination. Um, and there's theologically some views between uh, predestination and, and uh, free will and how all that works together. I think it all does work together. The scriptures have uh, the verses on both subjects that God did uh, foreordain and predestine certain things, but also that we have free will and that we have free choice concerning salvation. So how those two work together sometimes is a struggle in our interpretation, but we have to be diligent in the scriptures and we have to make sure that in our theology we don't pick and choose certain verses and say, well, it's clearly Scripture sides with me and ignore other Scriptures. Uh, that's, that's not good theology. What we want to do is get biblical theology and just look at what the Scripture says and bring all of the Scriptures into the picture. So, yes, the, the Scripture does talk about predestination, in fact, uses that word in some translations. One place it does is in Romans chapter 8. It says, we know that in all things, this is verse 28, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And the word there, predestined, is from the Greek word piorizo. I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't speak it, but piorizo, and it simply means determined beforehand. It means deciding ahead. And so how, does, how do we reconcile God's predestination and really, if we think about that, if we believe that God has, you know, before all time began, he just sat out and said, well, this person will be saved and this person won't, this person will go to heaven and this person will go to hell. 
and that's all decided ahead of time, then what's the point of, of evangelism? What's the point in sending missionaries? <laughs> we can easily slip into just becoming the frozen chosen, if you will, because God, you know, it's just going to work out. Well, I don't think we have to, again, bring all Scripture together and understanding this. So my view of the predestined idea is that pre God's plan was the predestined part of that was Christ. Before Christ, or before all creation, Christ was there. He knew we would choose sin. He knew we would wander from Him and leave Him. He knew we would turn and reject Him. And so God had a plan that was Christ, His Son, to come to redeem us, to atone for our sin, to save us, uh, to sanctify us, to uh, bring us back to Him. To me, that's how the 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 four the 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 foreknowledge of God, the predestined part of God's plan. Again, we have to choose whether or not we're going to follow Christ, to obey Christ, to yield to Him, and to submit our lives to Him. That's the part I think we have to the decision that we all have to make. God's not going to make that choice, but His divine choice, the choice He made ahead before any of this came into existence was his son. So uh, God's heart is he desires all people to be saved. He wants everyone to repent. Um, and, of course, he knows ultimately who's going to choose Christ and who won't. But he, in this time, in, in, in our lives, he leaves that choice to each person. Let's look at Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And look at this last verse. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So, <clears throat> God knows, God understands, of course, uh, who's going to be saved and who isn't. But that choice of who's going to be saved uh, at the point where we live is in our hands, uh, whether we're going to choose God's chosen. I hope that helps you. All right. Got the question here about Bible translations. Viewer says, since we aren't supposed to change a word in God's word, shouldn't we use only the King James Bible? All right. Uh, this has a lot of problems in this question, and we're going to try to work through them a little bit. And I don't in any way want to denigrate the study of the King James Bible. If you're used to it and like it and feel it's a great translation, go right ahead and read it. I'm not demeaning you in any way. But this viewer has the position uh, that that's the only right Bible to use, and it's because the Bible says not to change a word. Okay, let's start with the first problem, changing a word. Uh, it Nowhere in the Bible does it say not to change a word in the whole Bible. There is a verse at the end of Revelation uh, where John writes, says if you take this prophecy and add to it or take away from it, uh, you'll be cursed. Uh, he's talking about the book of Revelation. Don't change this prophecy. Uh, some people, this viewer for instance, take that verse out of context, apply it to the whole Bible. Second problem. There's a difference between changing a word and a translation. Uh, all translations are the best we can do, approximations. Uh, taking any language into another language is never exactly perfect every word. Uh, there are some things that just aren't translatable. We have to come up with, well, how would we say that? 
in English. Uh, so a translation is different than changing a word. Let me give you an example. Uh, in the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve said, God said, don't eat from that tree. If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. What Satan did, he took that and he changed it. He said, you will not surely die. Now that's a change. But when we translate the original Hebrew, we could say, you will surely die. You will surely perish. You will surely croak. <laughs> that would be the message or a modern <laughs> translation. Okay. Uh, we didn't change anything. We just translated it. And we translated it as best we could, or we tried to put it into a modern language, or uh, be as accurate as we could. That's what translations are about. So to take different translations and say, well, that changed a word. No, that's, that's not changing God's word. It's translating. Now, there can be bad translations. I understand that. But King James Version is a translation. It was done in 1611, so it is written in 1611 English. Uh, when people said thee and thou and thine and those kind of things. So it's a little hard to read for 21st century Americans. Uh, it's also got some errors in it. Uh, it's not a perfect translation. Uh, it's a good translation, but it's not perfect. Uh, it's a good translation, but it's not the only translation. Now, people are used to it. Uh, part of the reason is because from 1611 to 1900 or so, there weren't that many other English translations. So it existed as about the only and certainly the best English translation uh, for hundreds of years. And people have gotten used to it. They're comfortable with it. And some people are so used to it that they say this is the only one we ought to use. Uh, not a good idea. Now, my question for those who say only the King James Bible will get us to heaven uh, there's an old joke about if the King James Bible was good enough for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. Uh, points out that Paul and Silas didn't have the King James translation. In fact, they didn't even have a Bible or a New Testament. Uh, if you think the King James Bible is the only thing that will get you to heaven, uh, what do you think people did for the before 1611? Okay, lots of people didn't even have a Bible or a German translation, or a, a, they didn't have an English translation or their language translation that they could read. Uh, so being that adamant about using only the King James is probably not a good idea. Uh, it's not changing a word. Translations are trying to change it into the modern language that people can understand. All right, studying the Bible. There's a lot, lot to it, and uh, we get to answer a few questions each week, but there's a lot more in the Bible. Uh, we'll never get them all covered on this program, so that's why we ask our viewers if they'd like to study the Bible. And we've got some ways to help you. We've got tools that we'll send to you. Here's a set of lessons. There's eight lessons in it. The first two are the Old Testament, the New Testament. So it helps you understand the difference between those two big divisions. Then we've got some more detailed studies that will keep you busy for a long time. Uh, studying the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. And not too long ago, we added some online courses. So if you'd like to do it 
on your phone or tablet or PC, you can do that. Just go to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and they'll ask you a few questions, get you set up, and you'll be studying online uh, and learning the Bible. Some great studies there, a little different than the ones we have, we mail, but great studies in themselves. So phone number website on the bottom of the screen. Use them anytime. Get in touch with us. Tell us you'd like that free course or log on yourself to oneway.worldbibleschool.org. We'll get you started studying the Bible. All right, Jeff. Yes. Age of accountability. Yep. <laughs> Our next question is, what is the age of accountability? Uh, and that's a common phrase in Christian circles, uh, but the specific phrase is found nowhere in the Bible. Uh, but it's used to describe someone who is old enough, aware enough, <clears throat> cognitive enough, uh, to know their sin and to decide whether or not they want to follow Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of different views on what the age of accountability is. Uh, there are some who think that it is a specific age. And once you reach that age, no matter what, you are accountable. And at that point, you need to make that decision. But there's no direct biblical proof of that. Um, we're all different. We're all at different levels of maturity. We're all at different levels of understanding. Um, we're all in different environments, in different circumstances. And based on that, we will reach this age or this stage at different times. Uh, some of us stay childlike for many years, and other people mature very quickly. It all depends. Uh, what the Bible does give us is what I think is a great test to see if you are at the age of accountability, and that's in James 4.17. So let's look at that together. Uh, in James 4.17 it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Very simple. Uh, so over time, all of us, we grow and mature and we come to different realizations. One of those realizations is our imperfections, the fact that we are not perfect. Uh, and we can call that sin in many instances. And because we see our sin, we also hopefully see our need for Jesus Christ. And if you're at the point where you understand your own sin and you understand your need for a Savior, uh, then it's safe to say that you are at that age of accountability and that you are ready for uh, to be held accountable and to make that decision uh, to be baptized into Christ. All righty. Thank you, Jeff. And you got the uh, other direction, yeah. early age, <laughs> early right. age accountability. The question is, is infant baptism necessary? And the answer is no, it is not necessary for salvation. And in fact, just as Jeff talked about, uh, there, it's 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 not even possible to save an infant, and you know, uh, in, uh, sprinkling them is does does nothing about their eternal condition. The reason that some practice that and teach that is in the uh, comes from the doctrine of total depravity, which is not something that I believe the Bible teaches. But basically, that doctrine teaches that a person is born sinful. And I don't believe that God creates sinful human beings in the womb. And and that the moment they're born, they're born with the guilt for sin that they did not commit. If you read Ezekiel 18, it's quite clear. God does not hold a, an individual responsible for, 
for another person's sin. Now, may may face some of the consequences. There may be uh, ripple effects from that person's sin, but in the eternal sense, each person is responsible for their own choices. So for a baby to be born and to be condemned as sinful before it's done anything uh, is not only not biblical, it would create this idea that God is unjust. So problems with that doctrine of total depravity. But um, so uh, infant baptism is just not necessary. Now, I said it's not necessary for salvation. There are folks who do it with the heart and with the spirit of we desire to be God-fearing parents and to raise our children to know the Lord and to raise them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And they're doing that more as a symbolic gesture of what they what their plans are and intentions are with that child and that's that's fine i don't have any problem with that but for salvation no um and i'm going to look at acts chapter 2 which kind of tells us some of the requisites for a person uh that wants to be saved acts chapter 2 37 through 38 the people heard this they were cut to the heart and they said to the peter and to peter and the other apostles brothers what shall we do and that's the first thing a person to deal with sin has to have repentance that that being cut in the heart being convicted the the idea that they know they've done wrong well certainly an infant doesn't have that say brothers what shall we do peter said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit so you know an infant, first of all, doesn't have the a newborn. Certainly, doesn't have the capability of of <clears throat> believing, of repenting, of confessing the name of Christ. Uh, all of and really, the only thing that can happen is the sprinkling, and that's done to them. They're not really submitting to that. They're not really choosing that. So, all of that to say, no, infant baptism is not necessary for salvation. If you want to do as a symbol of dedication for your desire for that child. Don't have a problem with that, but not necessary for salvation. Infants are born; uh, they are in a safe condition until they, as James four seventeen says, know the good they ought to do, and uh, then they have the responsibility to do it. Hope that helps. Okay, if you ever want to know about a verse, particular verse, what does it mean in James? Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Well, let's read that, James one twenty two, and make sure we see exactly what it says. It's from the NIV, which is a little more modern than be doers, not just hearers. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Okay, I'm explain that uh, with a parable. I went to the doctor the other day. I had a bad sinus infection. He gave me a prescription for penicillin. I took his little piece of prescription home and I put it on the refrigerator and I memorized it. I knew every word it said. 100 milligrams of penicillin, take three times a day. I got it. Every day I'd look at it and I'd quote it. Two weeks later I went back and my sinus infection was worse. And the doctor said, I wonder why it's worse. And I said, I know what the prescription said. 100 milligram penicillin, take three times a day. And he said, yeah, but have you been taking it? I said, well, no, but I know it. I can quote it. I listened to it. And he would probably say something kind of rude to me, but he would at least say, don't just listen to it, do it. <laughs> well, that's exactly what James is saying. Uh, memorize the word if you want to, read it all the time, understand it, 
all of that, but what's really important is doing it. So James 1.22 means don't just listen, don't just know it, don't just quote it, do it. Let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ. I'd like to mention a few. Let me tell you about our partner up in Burlington, Iowa today. Great group of folks up there. Brother David Baker is a minister. I know you'd enjoy meeting him and hearing him. A great fellow. And a lot of really good people up there in Burlington. I'm going to be up there visiting and uh, talking to folks in the community in uh, September. So if you're uh, in that area, look for the ad on that. Uh, I believe it's September 11th and 12th, something like that. So I'll be up at that area, and we appreciate the Burlington Church of Christ. Whatever viewing market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Stop in and visit them. Tell them thanks for the program. Jeff, you got one for us? Yes. Someone told me if I don't go to church, I won't go to heaven. Is that true? Um, And before I simply answer this question, I just want to say that going to church is very important. Uh, The Bible's very clear when we see the representation of the early church that they met together regularly for several different reasons. And let's look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 for some of those reasons. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Um, basically, it is good for us to be together. I know sometimes it's hard to be together because we're all sinners, and so a gathering of sinners can sometimes be frustrating, but there's also many good things that come from gathering together as a church, and it's a big and obvious biblical part of God's plan for us on earth. Um, When we don't go to church, we are going against that command in Hebrews 10. Um, I will not say that if you don't go to church, you will not be saved. Uh, I don't have the power or the knowledge to do that, but I will say it is a very obvious part of God's plan, and you should be together as much as possible. Yeah, the the problem there is that there's so many people that would like to go to church but mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're shut in, they're physically unable. The uh, you know soldiers get posted in places where there is no church. Uh, did you go to church when you were in Iraq? Uh, there was sometimes opportunities, <laughs> but very rarely could you go to church overseas. Okay. Uh, you probably wanted to. Yes. <laughs> okay, but you couldn't. So for this question to say, well, if you don't go to church, you're going not going to heaven is yeah. kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've always said that the problem is if you don't want to go to church, there yeah. might be a problem. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. there are a lot of people that just can't. So... Um, yeah, it's important, and we ought to, and it's not just good for us. It's good for the other people that yeah. we encourage, like yeah, you pointed that's out. Right. So, Okay, not a matter of black and white. Yeah, you got one of black and white. You can answer this or yes or yep. no, right? Yep. <laughs> yep, we can. Will being created, excuse me, will being <laughs> cremated cause me to go to hell? The answer is no. Uh, cremation <laughs> has to do with the physical body. Going to heaven or hell has to do with the spiritual body. Uh, we always say cremation is a personal decision. Please make sure you communicate it with your family. But in terms of what the Bible says, nothing about <coughs> cremation would prevent one from being eternity with God. That has to do with your spiritual body. And uh, that's going to be determined by whether or not you choose to be faithful to Christ. All righty. Thank you, both of you, for your answers. And thank you, viewers, for your good questions today. Here's our trivia question. Who wrote the book of Philemon? 
was it John Philemon or Paul? Well, if you guess Philemon, you are wrong. Uh, Paul wrote the book, and he says so in Philemon 1.1. He wrote it about Philemon, so a great little book. Glad you've been with us today and hope you got your question answered. If not, we'll come back next week. Hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.